Broadcasting from the heartland of America. In the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is hour number two of the Voice of Reasons weekend edition broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here at the Hoosier Media Network Studios as we broadcast coast to coast all over the place. So wonderful to have you along for the ride today on another weekend. You can find our show on multiple radio stations. More coming on as well. We'll announce those here soon. You can also find us on our social media at Hoosier Reason, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason, and our website, HoosierReason.com. No I in Hoosier, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason on the social media, the Facebook, the Tweety, the Instagram, the TikTok. Yes, we actually have a TikTok. I know that's that's not a... Oh, I know. Not supposed to have one of those. We'll get to that in just a minute here. You can also find us again on our website at HoosierReason.com. And, of course, our partners with OpsLens with our video feed all over the place. You can download our podcast at The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier on any of your favorite podcasting sites. As many of you are doing, we've hit 50 states all over the nation with downloads, and we are dominating the last couple months. Thank you so much for that if you are listening on those podcasting platforms. All right, bottom of this hour, we have James Langford, U.S. Senator from the great state of Oklahoma, just to the south of me, south of the border from Kansas, where I'm hailing from. We'll talk about uh, border crossings as he's been visiting the area. He's been focusing a lot of that conversation in the U.S. Senate. And now with conversation about appropriation bills and the government shutdown, because I don't know if you're aware or not, but the government could shut down again by next week if they don't pass a continuing resolution extension or they actually pass their appropriations bills. And the last I've heard, the House representatives had roughly eight of their 12 appropriation bills passed. They were working on a few more. However, that's not to say that they're going to go anywhere because the Democrats in the Senate, which dominate the Senate right now by a couple of votes, say that they are dead on arrival. The Biden administration says that they would veto said bills from the House of Representatives, those evil conservatives that are trying to actually cut spending at the federal level. And now Democrats who never compromise, who never work together, who never cross the aisle to actually find a happy medium, they're the ones that are threatening a government shutdown and, of course, are going to blame Republicans for doing that because you're supposed to do what we want to do, not what you want to do. So it's your fault. It's like the abuser that abuses someone and says, you're making me hit you. That's what the Democrats are literally doing. You're making us shut down the government because you're not passing a reasonable budget by actually cutting spending at the federal level. So we'll talk about that probably next week and we'll see what state of affairs we're in by that point. At the same time, we just got done with our interview with Drew Thomas Allen, uh, host of the Drew Allen Show podcast, along with his new book, talking about the importance of the 2024 elections. And we tried to make some speculation on why Republicans aren't turning out. Now, I've told you before, and again, I like to reiterate because we are the only program that I'm aware of, only person that I'm aware of, that has brought up the concept of a statewide electoral college. No one else is talking about electoral colleges at the statewide level. And the reason I bring that up is because if you go to just this last election in the state of Ohio that happened on Tuesday this past week in our Week in Review. It's your Week in Review. If you look at the election results by county, you'll recognize that the only places within the state of Ohio that voted for the legalization and protection of abortion within the state constitution and the legalization of marijuana are within the larger metropolitan areas within the state of Ohio. And Ohio is a very big state. It's always been turning slowly purple. But now I think that it has officially shifted over to a blue state. Why? Because there are three major metropolitan areas in the state of Ohio, which is Cincinnati and Columbus and Cleveland. 
And all three of those are massive cities, and they dominate the politics there. And the rural communities essentially are null and void and irrelevant in that state, which reaffirms the idea that now just how the founding fathers back in the day crafted a concept of an electoral college for the presidential races because of the lack of population equality among the different states, we now need to look at that same concept at a state level to protect the rural communities with the larger cities that are overbearing and dominating. I always use the example of, I know Kansas because that's where I'm from. Kansas has 105 counties. Our Democrat governor won her last two elections, her first election and her re-election. She won them with seven counties. Let me reiterate that. There are 105 counties in the state of Kansas. She won the governor's race by winning seven counties out of 105. Tell me how there's proper representation of vote from larger metropolitan areas and rural communities. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I think that's something we need to focus on. The second part of this is that I think a lot of people are very concerned about voter turnout because of the electoral integrity or at least conversations and having a dialogue and proper information. Thank God we have a Speaker of the House now, Mike Johnson, that is focused on a lot of the information that was shielded in the 2020 election of the Hunter Biden laptop story and the corruption from the Biden family with their ties to Russia, their ties to Ukraine, which coincidentally is what we're involved with for the last three years while the Biden administration continues to make massive amounts of money and look the other way. Sorry, move along. Nothing to see here. And that's what we've had to deal with for the last few years. So I think dialogue, I think content, I think information, I think discussion, and I think that being able to learn all of the information and making your own um, educated opinion is extremely important in elections. And we're not seeing that right now. And the reason we're not seeing that is because right now, uh, where do we get the vast majority of our information? Well, probably online, either Googling stories or going to certain news websites or, lo and behold, social media. Now, I bring up social media because I have a little bit of a different opinion on this than what some Republicans do. And I think that we need to start having a serious conversation on this because I think that there are certain individuals that are absolutely right that we will lose the next generation of potential Republican voters or at least educating them on the issues unless we actually get our information out on these platforms as opposed to trying to ban them. And yes, of course, I'm talking about the social media content of TikTok. Oh, I know. I know. And you can find me, by the way, on my TikTok account at Who's Your Reason. I don't post much on there because I'm more of an observer, but uh, I do post on there every once in a while, and you can always follow me on there. This was brought up in the debate again earlier this week, and Vivek Ramaswamy, I thought, had the best response. Outside of the attack on Nikki Haley's daughter, which that was kind of uncalled for, but he definitely likes to ruffle some feathers and poke the bear a little bit. Uh, He brought up a very interesting point with TikTok. And while everybody else is on there, yeah, I'm going to ban it within the first week of my presidency. (laughs) While they're really going after TikTok, thinking that that's the evil thing because China owns it. I'm sorry, ByteDan owns it, that, that's actually controlled in China, that uh, they're talking about data collection, they're talking about surveilling individuals, they're talking about how dangerous the Chinese government is in the United States. I would like to reiterate to you that if you're concerned about your personal privacy and you're concerned about your personal information, why is TikTok the only one that you want banned and that you refuse to get on? Andy, it's all by China. Okay, China is bad, and we can all admit that at the same time, What has our government done to ensure your trust over the last, I don't know, decade or two as well? Because as far as I'm aware, 
The Biden administration has deemed Republicans as domestic terrorists. As far as I'm aware, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you weren't allowed to go to church because you are uh, non-essential and you couldn't get, you could go to the liquor store, you could go to a strip club, couldn't go to the church. So the government deemed that and they could tell what you were doing based on your social media activity. They know your whereabouts with tracking and GPS information. They know where you work. They know how much salary that you actually make. And this is more than just you filing your taxes, but this is what they've done uh, with monitoring and collecting that metadata on your social media through Facebook and through the Tweety and through the Google and through the YouTube and through all these different platforms that we okay, were okay to get on. And now they're calling us extremists. Now they're calling us domestic terrorists. Now they're calling us radicals, but TikTok's the problem. Like, really? Come on, man. This was Vivek Ramaswamy during the debate earlier this week. Well, I I, want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. (laughs) Hold on. I got to stop right there. I got to stop right there. She pulled the. Uh, she pulled the the Will Smith, leave my daughter's name out of your voice. She totally pulled the Will Smith on that one. Uh, but again, it's hilarious. Should you bring the family members into it? No, you shouldn't. That's a little bit below the belt. At the same time, he is the epitome of being able to push the buttons, ruffle the feathers, and get everybody fired up. He does it very well, and he was targeting Nikki Haley in that election. And whether you like him or not, you got to admit that he was pretty successful in being able to, you know, peg her. And he knows exactly how to rile her up and get her angry and fired up. And he did that successfully. Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. We got to go further. We have to ban any U.S. company actually transferring U.S. data to the Chinese. Here's a story most people don't know. Airbnb hands over U.S. user data to the CCP. Now, that's a U.S.-owned company. So this is the problem when you have Republicans that temporarily go the way the winds blow, and now it's popular to talk tough on China when she was U.N. ambassador, called them literally her words, not my, our great friend. You can't be fair-weather fans of the right policy. Get to the root cause. Even U.S. companies in Silicon Valley are regularly doing it. Cut the virtue signaling. The fact of the matter is Democrats are on TikTok today. The only person, one of the few people who is putting up content the way the actual algorithms work, speaking for pro-Israel views or others, Ambassador is Haley, um, more Republicans will join it. But uh, stop U.S. companies from turning over data to Chinese companies. That's the real answer. Like, uh, don't get- it's a conversation that we need to have. Again, that was Vivek Ramaswamy during the presidential debate earlier this week. He brings up an interesting point. It's not just about TikTok. It's about companies that are sharing information to China. China, which I were you aware that Airbnb was doing that? I was not aware that Airbnb was sharing information to the country of China. I was not aware of that. But I'm not even worried about that. Again, I'm worried about our own companies in bed with our federal government who deems us as domestic terrorists. I'm worried about our own companies that's censoring content when we want to be an educated and informed voter going into an election season that's not getting the proper content when that's where the vast majority of conversation have. That is now the soapbox for people to go on and have dialogues about issues 
or at least they're supposed to. Now you can have Parler, you can have our Freedom Book, you can have True Social that Donald Trump has, you can have all these social media sites, but now they've become fragmented like the economy has been fragmented and segregated. We now have a segregated social media platforms where progressives predominantly hang out over here, Republicans predominantly hang out over here, and the ones that are free and open, which are majoritively the conservative social media sites, progressives don't want to go on to because they talk about all the hate speech that goes on over there and how evil they are, so they don't partake. Then we have to go over to the cesspool over there, and our social media content doesn't get out. We don't get into the algorithm. They silence us and shadow ban us. They say that we're promoting misinformation. They say that we're promoting some type of hate speech, and we can never have a proper dialogue. The purchasing of X, or what was Twitter from Elon Musk, was the best attempt at that. And I think now that that is probably the best uh, uh, platform for some type of dialogue because he's making sure that that doesn't happen to the best of his ability. But if you have a Facebook account, do you know how much information the government's collecting on you? If you have a Gmail email account, if you have a YouTube, which, by the way, your link now is one, do you have to have a Google account in order to have an account on YouTube? Do you know how much information the government's collecting on you on every single thing that you're watching and what you're doing? And we're worried about TikTok? Like the virtue signaling is real and it's annoying. My wife asked me earlier today or a couple of days ago on what my biggest annoyances were in the world. I think that's probably my biggest annoyance, especially in politics, is when we virtue signal saying that we're so flamboyantly angry about something, but yet we ignore 80% of the problem that's happening in the same form elsewhere because it doesn't fit the agenda in the talking points of the day. That's stupid. And let's stop that, shall we? This is the voice of reason. With Andy Hoosier. It's your Patriot on the Prairie. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is broadcasting all over the country from the heartland here. The flyover nation is what we like to be, and we're damn proud of it here on the show. Welcome into it, the Voice of Reason, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you hang out. It's always a pleasure with you, even on some of those evil social media sites. I'm telling you, we need to stop the virtue signaling. Either social media is bad and we need to protect our privacy, or we need to accept it and just go along with it, and we need to be an influence on it. One thing that uh, I think Republicans are really bad at in shooting ourselves in the foot is that we always demonize something, and while we understand that the direction is going to go that way, we always fight against it so hard that we're never part of that conversation, and then we're never part of it to actually have our influence built into those algorithms. The alternative was when this first came up about potentially banning TikTok, the Congress ended up writing a bill that were that didn't go anywhere. It didn't pass or anything, but they proposed their first bill trying to ban TikTok, but it went a step further. And it went the step further saying that they weren't just going to ban TikTok. They were going to ban any foreign-based social media platform to where the only one that you could possibly have in the United States are ones that were run by U.S. companies. And they deemed it as that was potentially threat to, you know, domestic security and so on and so forth. However, the weird part was they didn't put it under the Department of Homeland Security to monitor that on what would be deemed as appropriate or inappropriate. They put it under the Commerce Department. And the Secretary of Commerce would have the say on whether they would choose to ban a certain social media platform or not. And it would be any foreign-based platform. Now, think about this for a second. If we're banning Anything foreign, that means we're never going to hear anything going on outside of the United States directly from them. We always have to get it from a filter 
from the sources that we have from within the country. And the sources that we have within the country are extremely biased, already promoting a certain agenda, already certain types of propaganda, shadow banning other content to where it's not allowed to get out there, to where it's going to curb the opinion. Right now, with this ongoing Israel and Hamas conflict, they're blaming TikTok. The George Soros is sinking massive amounts of money in Hamas, and the Palestinians are sinking massive amounts of money into uh, propaganda on TikTok to sway the young generation to support the pro-Palestinian and the, you know, from the river to the sea movement and trying to dissolve and dismantle Israel by all this fake information. And that very well may be happening. But I'm here to tell you, I have my TikTok account. I don't see any of that because my algorithms are not set to receive that. In fact, mine sees all the pro-Israel stuff on there. So let's at least understand what we're talking about here. Like, I get it. They're probably doing a big push on that. But I don't see it because everybody's algorithm, like your Netflix, is set up based on what you're interested in. And I'm seeing the content that I want to see. And I'm not seeing that content on my TikTok account. So are we going to just completely be null and void and irrelevant on those social media platforms to where the young generation, where the vast majority of them are actually on it and will have no presence to try and win them over or educate them on the issues? Or are we going to be part of the conversation? Well, Andy, let's just ban it to where they can. How well is that going to work? How are you going to tell everybody that you can't have a social media platform? That's like telling people that you can't have a gun. There are so many guns in the nation. You're never going to be able to repeal firearms or try and confiscate any of them. Good luck with that. It's never going to happen with near 8 billion rounds of ammunition and 200 million firearms across the nation. (laughs) You're going to have a fun time trying to do something like that. Not to mention our very own. I mentioned a lot of the metadata collecting here in the U.S. There is now a push for what they're calling machine-driven monitoring on social media from the federal government. And it's open. I mean, according to the BrennanCenter.org, even a left-wing legal source says that the Department of Homeland Security, the Farm Bureau, uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Department of State, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the U.S. Postal Service, Internal Revenue Service, U.S. Marshal Service, along with the Social Security Administration are just a few of the federal agencies that monitor use of social media and have access to the metadata collection in order to monitor you to make sure that you're not a threat to the nation. I don't know why the Postal Service and the Social Security Administration needs that information, but they do. Why? Because they're deeming you as a threat. Get ready for the ESG and social credit score by automatic AI-generated monitoring of your social media from U.S. social media companies. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back to The Voice of Reason. Always a pleasure to have you along for the ride today. Really happy to have our next guest on the program as there is a lot going on in Washington, D.C. with conversations happening in both chambers right now, but really excited to have back on the program. We love having him on from the great state of Oklahoma. It's U.S. Senator James Langford. Senator, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, actually, in spite of all the chaos up here. In spite of all the chaos. Well, it's good to chat with you because I know you guys have been busy talking about A really important issue that we, for some reason, haven't wanted to address in a while, but of course the ongoing immigration crisis at the border with the mass flooding. We've heard the number of near 2 million from last year alone uh, under the Biden administration coming into the country. 
to the point where even Democrat-run cities don't want these migrants coming to their communities any longer. Senator, I think that we have a major crisis on our hands. We do have a major crisis, and this has been a crisis for a long time. The administration just not wanting to admit it. Then the administration uh, several weeks ago submitted what they called a national security supplemental request, uh, and it was for Israel. It was for what's happening with Putin fighting uh, in Europe and Ukraine, and then also with China and Taiwan. And then the president also requested additional funds for the border, saying that we've got major problems there. We, we laughed and said, yes, there's major problems, but more money is not going to solve this. Actually, policy changes are going to solve it. So I've actually laid down 85 pages and legislative text of here's how to actually solve the border issue. And we're negotiating that right now to be able to work through to say, okay, we, we got to stop just saying if we just spend more money at the border, that solves it. It doesn't. We have to change the way we handle asylum. We've got to change the way we do our screenings. We've got to have the ability to be able to say no and return people back to the country. We want more legal immigration but we want illegal immigration to stop. Yeah, amen to that. The proposal from the Biden administration with their funding for Israel and Ukraine and then try to throw in some border stuff on top of that as well was uh, that they wanted to build near like 20 miles of a border and then just sink more money into it. But like you said, the money itself doesn't really solve the issue. And the Biden proposal, was that really going to solve any of the problems going on at the southern border? No, it absolutely was not. They They were asking, to their credit, they were asking for additional money for detention beds which we've said all along that he did do more detention to have an immediate consequence for people coming across the border. Uh, but then they were asking for things like safe migrant offices in Central America so they can provide safe passage for people as they're coming through. That will literally facilitate more immigration coming into the country and, and not to pursue asylum in the definition of asylum, but to try to encourage more migration. Yeah. Uh, so we're shutting down some aspects of that. Other aspects of it, we're saying, yes, yes we do need more capability. We do need more uh, Border Patrol officers. We do need all that. But the biggest issue is it's a policy thing. And what's interesting is the administration has now admitted it. Uh, they put out an opinion piece saying that the money they asked for is really a tourniquet on the problem. We need legal changes to be able to make long-term solutions. And so I'm proposing those legal changes to say, I'm glad you asked, but this is the way to be able to solve it. And now we're working through, as you know, in the Senate, we have to get 60 people to agree. Uh, A group of Republicans or a group of Democrats cannot do this alone. You have to work across the aisle. That means both sides have to see the problem and actually agree to the solution. And that's a difficult thing to do for sure. Senator, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we look at the definition of asylum or the refugee status, isn't it the where you can't, you're, you're not supposed to be traveling across five or six countries at a time to be able to get to another border, but the asylum seeking really is, I'm going to leave the horrible condition I am in my current country, and I'm going to go to the closest border that I have to claim asylum right. to get away from what I'm in. So I don't understand how we can still be accepting so many, quote-unquote, asylum seekers in the country that are coming from Central America traveling through five different nations first. Actually, I would give you another stat on that. We had 45,000 people from India that came into the United States pursuing asylum last year. Uh, So they took multiple flights to be able to get to the Mexico, uh, to northern Mexico. And then once they got to northern Mexico, crossed our border. Uh, So, no, that's a much bigger issue that we've seen over and over again. Uh, Yes, that's true. The asylum definition is I just go to the next safe place to be able to find asylum. Uh, Not just I can pick and choose where I want to go. Things are hard in my country. So I can pick whichever country I want to go to. That's not how it works. But that's how the Biden administration is interpreting it. And it's invited millions of people. Just to give you, for instance, if I go back to 2010, 
in 2010, ancient history, 2010, uh, we only had 21,000 people request asylum for the year, 21,000 for the year. Wow. We now have that every three days on our southern border. So it's a huge difference. Looking at the legislation that you guys are working on, and now that the House of Representatives has different leadership, we have Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House. They're actually starting to crunch through some bills. Uh, do you think that we can find a decent bill that both chambers will be able to move forward with and be able to get to the president's desk on whether he'll actually support it or not is another story. But being able to work with the House, it seems like it might be a little bit easier for Republicans. Yeah, it should be easier for Republicans to work with him, but we still have the same issue. Chuck Schumer actually leads the Senate. So something's not going to go through the Senate that the White House doesn't agree to um, because Chuck Schumer and the White House are working together on everything. So it's a this is the nature of our American republic. Both sides have got to be able to talk to each other. Both sides have got to be able to agree on the solution when you have divided government. And we have the epitome of divided government right now where Republicans are in the majority by three people in the House. Democrats are in the majority by two people in the Senate. So it's a very divided, closely divided and very narrow margins uh, as we work through each piece of legislation. So, But that just forces both sides to be able to talk to each other. The big issue is we can't sit there and say, I have leverage over you the whole time because no one has leverage over anyone. But we do need to solve the problems. And uh, starting with the government shutdown issue, I, I don't think government shutdowns help us at all. In fact, we've got folks right now literally on aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean preparing to be able to stand up for America uh, at, at the call of the president at any point, uh, waiting at that moment right off the coast of Israel. Uh, but at the same time, they're having to be able to work with their families back home saying, hey, if we don't get paid next month because there's a government shutdown, here's how to be able to handle our rent payments. Here's what we need to do. Those folks that are deployed don't need to think about what's happening back home at, at this point. They need to be thinking about where they are at this point. And so the government shutdown issue, we need to take off the table. I know a lot of people glorify government shutdown and say they're a glorious battle. Not if you're a deployed member of the military, not if you're somebody in Border Patrol working overtime and not getting paid. They will eventually get paid. But for most Americans, they work paycheck to paycheck and they miss a couple of paychecks. And that's a really big issue for them personally. So let's have the fight. In fact, I put a solution out there in government shutdowns. Let's have the fight on the budget issues. We need to have that. But let's not drag all the folks that are federal families and, and military families and such into this. They, they need to be held harmless in here while we actually duke it out up here. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. You've, you've presented your Government Shuts on Prevention Act. I know it's got bipartisan support. You're working with Democrats on the other side on this as well because it seems like they love to take advantage of that. It's either we're going to get the budget that we want or else the government will shut down. It's your fault and everybody's going to die in the streets. And they yep. love to play that card every single year. And it's getting kind of old, Senator. It is getting kind of old because they'll just blame Republicans every time and the media just gobbles it up and blames Republicans every time and says, oh, my gosh, there's another shutdown. It's the crazy Republicans that are doing this. (laughs) We're just asking pretty common sense questions. How do we deal with our debt and deficit? What direction are we going? we got to make hard decisions. Let's make them. Let's not just spend more money and assume this works forever. We're at $33.5 trillion in total federal debt with no plan to get out of it. We should have grown-up conversations about this. But it shouldn't be over a threat of a government shutdown. We need to just be able to work our differences out. And the bill that I have is a bipartisan bill. I've got 57 members of the Senate that already agreed to it. Uh, I've got to get to 60 to be able to move it across the floor. So we're very close uh, to be able to get it to the point of a strong bipartisan agreement. Uh, but the simple fact of it is if we have a deadline coming up like we do next Friday, we just stay in session continually seven days a week. 
until we resolve the issues the families are held harmless in the, in the, while we're actually negotiating it out. It's really good news that you have so much support and that you're so close to getting to that level. I didn't realize that we were actually that close. So kudos to you for actually rallying so many, and hopefully we can get to that. Uh, looking at that deadline that is coming up next week, how realistic do you think that we are to seeing a government shutdown? We've seen the House pass roughly eight appropriations bills, a lot of them seeing some major federal government cuts, which Democrats obviously are losing their minds. The Democrats in the Senate say that they're dead on arrival. The Biden administration has threatened to veto a lot of them, which means right now it doesn't sound like we're near close to finding a good budget that both sides can agree on to be able to move forward with, which means a government shutdown is looming right now, it sounds like. Yeah, it is, it is possible. Uh, I'm hopeful that it's not probable, but it's definitely possible at this point. What we're going to have to do is have an extension of current spending for a couple of months so we can actually finish working on all the details on it. But it doesn't help us to be able to have a government shutdown uh, with all that's going on right now. So my target is, okay, let's keep the debate going, uh, but let's not have a shutdown and hurt all these federal workers and their families. Yeah, amen to that. Just uh, about a minute left here, Senator, and I appreciate your time very much. It's Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. But what else is in the bill for your Government Shutdown Prevention Act? Does it have automatic tiers of decreased government spending to try and encourage Congress to finish a budget if we are trying to utilize this so the government shut down. Uh, but what does this entail to still uh, encourage them? Because I'm afraid that I see the opportunity for them to just be like, well, that's all right. We'll just let it continue on. If you guys are trying to cut spending, we'll just let it ride out and just keep rolling into what we have right now. Yeah, that's actually been an ongoing debate for a long time. I could not get a single Democrat to agree to that, not one <laughs> Democrat. So at this point, the focus is it continues at the same level as the previous year, yeah. but we're in session seven days a week. Members of Congress cannot travel. We can't do bills other than appropriations. So it puts us basically locked in our room looking at each other, uh, similar to what my mom used to do to my brother and I when we got into an argument. Mm-hmm. She would send the two of us to our room and say, you guys stay in there until you work it out. That's basically what this is. It locks us in the room, and we've got to be able to stay looking at each other until we resolve it. I would tell you, in this place in, in Washington, D.C., there's so many things that are going on. All of us basically work two jobs. We have responsibility with all that's going on back home, and then we have responsibilities in Washington, D.C. And so if it locks us into Washington, D.C., we cannot get home to see our families. We can't get home to do the other constituent work. Uh, we can't get a chance to be able to travel to different places that we need to be able to get to. We can't do all those things. Uh, this place goes crazy. And so time is the grand equalizer here that it takes away everyone's time until we get it done. U.S. Senator James Langford from the state of Oklahoma. Keep up the fight, my friend. We always appreciate everything that you're doing. God bless you. We'll talk again here real soon. Will do. Take care. Right back here on The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. America's safe space for common sense. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Truth, reason, common sense. That's just what we do here on the show. Always great to have you with us. Thanks again to U.S. Senator James Langford, State of Oklahoma, jumping on the program and chatting with us. A lot of great information that he gives out there as they continue to battle in Washington, D.C. Could we see another government shutdown by the end of next week? Time will tell, my friends. From what it sounds like, it sounds like we may be extending the current continuing resolution, which I, I, I've i never been okay with that before. I'm always kind of okay with the whole government shutdown thing if we have to, or at least just saying, hey, we're going to freeze spending for certain agencies. But with what we're seeing come out of the House of Representatives and with the fight that Mike Johnson has 
That's not a Kevin McCarthy go with the flow. Oh, I'm totally sorry. I'll totally cower. Just give Democrats whatever they want. The fact that Republicans are willing to actually fight gives me some optimism that, you know, if we have to extend it one more time to finish off the appropriations process and have some decent bills, I'm okay to do that. Now, the question is, will we stand to them when the Senate is like, nope, they're cutting too much money. We're not going to even consider them. We're going to do our own bills. And will there be a point of uh, negotiation and compromise? Sure, there will. But I am more confident that the actual compromise will be what compromise is supposed to be, which is what we haven't done in a long time, which is you get a little bit, I get a little bit, and we'll meet in the middle. What compromise has been for the last, oh, I don't know, a couple decades has been Democrats saying we're going to get everything that we want and we'll maybe throw you a bone. And if you don't vote for this, we'll shut down the government and it's your fault. That's what we've had. And then Republicans, the spineless uh, lack of huevos that they have, just go along with it. And I'm not okay with that. So as the negotiation process continues, I feel more confident now that I have in a very long time with the House of Representatives. The Senate, that's another conversation as we have Mitch McConnell. Is he still is muddling around there. Although apparently with his medical team, they said he is back at it and he's not going to have any more episodes from his exhaustion and dehydration. <laughs> okay, if that's what you say. Real quickly, uh, the other issue that obviously you just heard us talk about with uh, Senator James Langford was the issue of immigration. And with the mass migration right now, I kind of chuckle at this story that just broke throughout this week in our wrap-up of the week. It's your Week in Review. Of Eric Adams, the mayor for New York City. And now he's under investigation, and according to the FBI, just at the end of the week, they seized his cell phones and iPads at his home with an ongoing investigation about potentially colluding with the Turkish government in the 2021 election and the Turkish government funding part of his campaign for the election. According to Breitbart News, the seizure appeared to be part of the corruption investigation into whether Eric Adams' 2021 campaign conspired with Turkey's government, according to the New York Times. Citing people with knowledge of the matter, the the paper said that Adams was approached by agents on Monday after an event who asked the mayor's security personnel to step away from his vehicle before climbing inside with him. The agents then took devices, including at least two cell phones and an iPad, uh, where the times that they were returned to him or, or would be returned to him within a few days. Uh, I got to admit, I wasn't even aware that there was an investigation onto Eric Adams regarding a collusion or potential collusion with the Turkish government and funding his 2021 mayor's race. But can we ask the simple question, can we just be the conspirators for a second and throw on the tinfoil hat and just ask the question that I'm sure is just burning into everybody hearing this right now? Is there any correlation to this investigation in him now advocating for the closing of the southern border because um, New York City can't handle any more illegal uh, migrants in the area? Can we put the two and two together? Because we are going into a presidential election of 2024 where migration and immigration is a major problem. The border's still flooding right now. Democrats are trying to put out that fire and at least calm it down on the PR front through the media, trying to say again, these aren't the Joey Joe looking for and trying to move on to a different story. They don't want to focus on the travesties over the last four years of the Biden administration on how bad immigration is and how bad it is now compared to what it was under the Trump administration, and they can't have their own Democrat Party 
talking about how bad the problem is by locking down their own cities and not being the welcoming sanctuary city to accept anyone coming in, taking care of them, changing the dynamics, getting them jobs, getting them social programs, getting them registered to vote, making them the new Democrats of the future. They can't have their own party fighting against them. Can we just ask the simple question that how ironic it is that they're investigating this from 2021? They're doing this now in 2023 after he makes the claims that the city of New York shouldn't take any more migrants in because they can't handle them because it's financially bankrupting the city. Can we just try and connect the dots here for a second? Kind of fascinating, isn't it? Maybe there's not a correlation, but the things that make you go, hmm, right? It's always funny how... After they say something bad, now they're in investigation and they're going to toss them to the side. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, we're back at it again next weekend. Hope you enjoyed it. Always find us on our website, whosreason.com, and our podcast as well. Be your own voice reason. Be that catalyst for change. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.